everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Hot Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Henderson, a.k.a. Scotty Hendo on the interwebs. And today's show is entitled, Connected for What? By their very nature, our cities, towns, and communities of all sizes and shapes are connected through human relationships and infrastructure. It is the density and the diversity of these connections which determine a community's value. Think about it. Before the written word, connections were tangible and very immediate. With the dawn of the Victorian Internet, a.k.a. the telegraph, connections evolved to include the ephemeral and invisible. With the modern Internet, ubiquity of connected devices, and the emergence of artificial intelligence, these connections don't require humans anymore. Devices connecting with other devices, generating terabytes of data for software to review and take action without human involvement. So how will connected devices and artificial intelligence alter our cities, our towns, and our communities? This fall season, we're exploring this question through a variety of programs and events, and we hope you can add your voice and perspective to help us determine if connected communities will bring out our better angels, expose our darkest demons, or lead to whole new paradigms. So today we've assembled 15 different organizations, from startups to research labs to corporate innovation centers, to participate in what we call show and tell. It's one part science fair and one part home computer, uh, home brew club. And thank you to everyone for sharing your experiments on the floor today. It includes the City of Atlanta, Urban Ecology Study, the AT&T Foundry, Southern Company, ThingTech, KQ Sensors, City Labs, Quest Renewables, Code for Atlanta, ATL TV Head, the Things Network, Acorn Product Development, TensorFlow, GTRI's Info and Communications Lab, MachineQ, and Comcast Business. So Disconnected Awesomeness is, paid, is made possible by our friends at Comcast Business. So thank you for your leadership as today's presenting sponsor of the show and tell Connected Cities AI. You can give them a little love if you want, audience. And a special shout out to the Technology Association of Georgia for today's IoT Converge event across the street, which then walked over here and came in, and you all have enjoyed all the tasty food that they've provided you this afternoon. So thank you, TAG, as well. A little love for them. Earlier today, I connected a quick poll of everyone who registered for today's show and tell event through our membership system, asking them, how will the connected devices or AI disrupt your industry? Here's a quick sampling. In complex technology sales, our customers are asking for automation, issue resolution, and detailed monitoring right now, said Sudesh Gadari. It's going to add more customer and business insights, but also more security concerns, Kelvia Burrell said. I see retail being disrupted by, by, by changing the buying venue, said Andrew Igaru. They'll make commercial, commercial property service vendors more productive, said Ann Danoff. They will completely reshape the day-to-day -day activities of every business, said Paul Wirtz. Andre Danilov said he actually sent us the Colorado Department of Transportation's Road X program as his proof point. And uh, we have two more comments. Connected devices would certainly help put out, put more, uh, help put for, uh, help for more digital processes in the general aviation market. It's actually still paper-based, said Sunet Kukarni. And Chris Heaton threw down the gauntlet with this. Fully connected devices and the people that use them will revolutionize my industry. 
AI may very well destroy it, depending on whether or not the machines allow us to continue to update their firmware. So on that cheery note, you will die. With that, let's get into the bold prediction section of the show, uh, which, again, is brought to you by Comcast Business. Thank you very much. We've been building up the anticipation, and I know you can't wait any longer for this moment. So this is when I ask five experts to each step forward by themselves, boldly predicting the future on this stage on how these technologies will shape our lives in the next five years. And then after they go through their five-minute soliloquies, we'll conclude with some questions from you, all our live audience. So let's get started with our very first one. I'm going to introduce uh, our very first speaker, Nate Damon, a.k.a. ATL TV head. He's an engineer for artistic pursuits and public joy. Come on over here. You can keep walking. Expert in inter interactive design, robotics, and wearable technology. Your day job is at robotics as a robotics engineer for software automation, the robotics sewing machine company. And armed with LEDs, wrenches, servos, and circuit board, uh, Nate traces neon paths across Atlanta, blurring together art and tech as his alter ego, ATL TV head. Is that how I say it? ATL TV head. With that, you have five minutes to boldly predict the future. Look for me in the back with an iPad. Here's your microphone. Thank you. So I walk around the city a lot. I interact with a lot of people. Um, this project, I'll briefly speak about the project because it gets me to one of my points. But uh, when I graduated college, I got a job here in the city. Most of my friends did not, and they left. So I was left with either trying to find out new friends, trying to find organizations to make friends with, but wholly I was just looking on social media and could never really fulfill that need. So I devised my own way to basically make a community, which was my project ATL TV Head. That leads me to believe that um, we're going to see a shift in social, so that means that all of the communication tools that we use today have flaws. And more and more people, as we see those flaws, will choose, well, maybe I really don't want to be on Facebook, or I don't want to be on Instagram, or the next big thing will come out and everyone will move over to there. I believe that as a society, we're actually going to realize how detrimental some of these technologies can be, not only to meeting people face to face, but to relating to each other as fellow humans on the Earth. So I believe that we're going to start to see this shift. And from there, we're going to be needing to look at how we use Internet of Things, how we use AI to actually solve our very human problems of how we connect to one another. That's going to be encouraging and studying and learning the different ways we engage each other, the different ways we play together as humans. No matter how old you are or how young you are, you love to play and interact and have games with other people. So for the internet and for all of these Internet of Things devices, their sensors, their data, their ones and zeros, which are critically important to understanding us as a people, how we move through spaces, how we move through our city, but how does it really 
And what does it really mean for our experiences as humans? How do we look at this technology and use it to guide our lives and guide each other through? So for one example, you could want to meet a friend at a particular venue or a particular business. What if the floor guided you e to each other? You both walk in different areas of the building and you actually see a little line that guides each other to that way that you could opt in to actually having that line there and connecting, or you could opt out. Some people may not want to do that, and that is 100% fine. However, if you make that playful, more people will want to use that technology. So yeah, experiences over data in that regard. Um, the really big thing is Internet of Things, all of the technology, technology is just a tool we are humans, we are very face-to-face -face creatures, we are very communicative. Let's use these tools to make us actually engage with each other more and more human. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it for me and Fabulous. my project. Way to go. All right, we'll come uh, bring you back on stage after the other ones, all right, ready to go? Wonderful stuff. If you haven't uh, been on Twitch TV yet, uh, I know uh, Nate's on there every Friday. Nate, is that every Friday you're, you're streaming? Every Friday at 6 p.m. You can either find me online or you can find me on the Atlanta Bell Line. So All right, so. Say that one more time. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, you okay, yeah. So uh, uh, one day you just wake up and realize you're a street performer. Um, You've looked down at you, beside your bed and you see this television that has LEDs now wired into it that is your second face, and you realize you are absolutely insane. Uh, you take that television, you put it on your head, and you actually go out in public, walking around, interacting with people, kind of breaking the norm and starting a conversation with someone. That was it. This whole idea was just to play with people I don't know, to get that social interaction that I needed individually, and I know other people must need it as well. So I wear a television. Find me on the Atlanta Beltline every Friday at 6 p.m. or online at atltvhead.com. You can type in chat, push buttons, control what's on the screen to actually interact with people in front of me as well. So the chat room online can talk to people through my TV. It's not just me out there. It's a whole community making it something awesome to experience. Awesome. Wonder, hey, that actually went right at zero. Perfect. All right. So our next speaker is a native Atlantan and soccer player who loves cheering on the Atlanta United. How about that? Woo! Heather Aladef. She is an accomplished transportation planner with an emphasis on land use planning and urban design. Her career combines public sector experience with private practice. Given her unique ex insight in the world of bureaucracy of private practice, right, into the how the real world and governmental operations interact. She rejoined the city of Atlanta in 2016, working for Commissioner Tim Keene. She's responsible for managing special projects and initiatives like the implementation of the Atlanta city design and the urban ecology framework. Here she is. She's now ready to boldly predict the future. Welcome her to the stage. Thank you. Um, I really want to say thanks for your time, and I appreciate the opportunity for, as a city planner, 
fellow soccer player up in the house. Hi, Melta. Um, sorry, it's pretty cool for female soccer players to be here. But anyway, um, uh, but really genuinely want to say thank you because the outreach is really important for what we do. I'm in, the, I'm in the personal passion and professional passion of city making, which is about you and your lives and the places you go and where you live. And that means outreach and that means getting to people. And so I would say, first off, just off script here, technology, the most powerful thing I see its role is outreach, how we reach people, how we get them to our meetings, how we interact with them. So it's outreach, and it's also the organization of that information and data. So I'll talk a little bit about the data today. Um, but I think it's a two-way street, so I think it's about how we show that data, but also the feedback. And I will tell you in the technology world that the hardest thing that we do is every public meeting, we might have 40, 50, 100 ideas. Collecting all that, organizing it, and pivoting off of that for your decision making is probably one of the hardest things we do. But with that, I want to talk about the future, which is about nature, which you may not have been thinking that that was going to be what we would lead with coming from the city planning department. But I do believe that the future of what we're doing is going to be all about nature. And that's a little bit different than what people normally think about. The Department of Watershed Management and the Department of Parks and Recs have ecologists and work with ecology all the time. The Department of City Planning, most people think of us as permits, zoning, uh, some bureaucratic stuff. Those are our traditional offices. But uh, to uh, echo what I heard before, we are actually more about experiences. And so you see more about the City Planning Department, about connecting people with public places. But now we are moving into the city design, which if you haven't seen it, it's at atlcitydesign.com. Please go check it out. And in that, we are talking about the growth of our city and how that's going to be. And most people are familiar with Peachtree Street and know that development and core. But right off of Peachtree is our natural systems and the, and the canopy. And that is actually all throughout the city. And that's an intentional way of us growing in the future. But what we need to really focus on now is not just the built environment, but the natural systems. Most people say that it's the neighborhoods, it's the people, and it's our natural systems that attract people to Atlanta. So we need to design for wildness. South River Park is in the bottom right here. If you're not familiar with it, check it out on a map. And Chattahoochee, uh, we need to make sure that we can connect to those places better. We need to design for more retreat and adventure. That experience that we were talking about is critical for our future. Um, designing for connections. A lot of our streams and our physical spaces are here. We just don't see it. We don't know it. We drive over it, walk past it, take a MARTA bus over it all the time, but it is there. And so we, it's our job in the planning department to help open our eyes up and help us connect to that better. I got two minutes to hit the most exciting part, the methodology behind what we do. Uh, I jokingly say that. But basically, we have a lot of data that we're, that we're in right now. And it's talking about very, very, very important things, climate justice, ecosystem services, um, your habitat, biodiversity. This is tree canopy. This is your watersheds. This is soils. This is everything that basically provides the humans with all these ecosystem services. And so we're doing a lot of data crunching with GIS systems, geographic information systems, um, a lot about habitat and biodiversity. We're in this phase of showing how this relationship to what you do, your decisions, what your wishes are, the watersheds, the streams. Um, I, I don't have to remind people that when you take the tree down, the tree soaks up a lot of water. So when we lose the trees, we're also losing that water system services too. So understanding the relationships to these things, understanding the heat island effect and what that means to the rain patterns and what that means to our water. And also vulnerable populations that don't have the tree canopy. We are lucky in Atlanta that a lot of uh, tree canopy exists, but we have a lot of vulnerable populations that don't have the tree canopy. 
So basically, what I feel that's really important for people to understand is the future of our city planning efforts right now are all about natural systems and nature, and that's what the public has been asking us to protect and restore. And that's what the urban ecology framework is about, and I just hope that you can each uh, take that little snippet of information, go to atlantaga.gov, find us on the city planning website, tell people about the study, get involved, share information, get people to our next public meeting, and help us with the technology. And I'm gonna finish with 27 seconds left instead of going over. Thank you very much. She yields the floor, wonderful. That's great, I actually was back, uh, if you haven't been to their booth, uh, you've got, you can get your own passport booklet about the city design. It's fascinating stuff. All right. All right, now, now you're going to get into even more fun with our next speaker. Get his slides up here. All right, come on up, Craig. He's an avid fisherman, a music writer, and the family road trip warrior. Craig Greenfield is director of Xfinity Communications at Comcast with a special focus on the university, off-campus, privately owned student housing, and new build multifamily properties. Craig has been with Comcast for 11 years and has 20 years in the telecom industry. His primary focus is helping grow the IPTV Xfinity on-campus business and can confirm students are definitely not binge-watching instead of studying for that big exam, mom and dad. Right? You can confirm that, right? So here he is. He's ready to boldly predict the future and not snitch on today's students. So hell, welcome to the stage with Craig Greenfield. Thank you very much. So as part of the Xfinity Communities Group, I've had the opportunity to visit over 40 different colleges and universities. Um, that's enabled me to sit with CTOs, CIOs, and it's interesting, through the conversation about IPTV, we actually get some feedback and input of the things they're looking for when it comes to IoT. For example, energy management, if there's an open door or window, get somebody to go close it. Uh, classroom lighting, if it senses that not a lot of people are in the classroom, go ahead and drop the lights. HVAC, AC, heating, cooling, you know, if it's not being used, drop or raise the temperature between the time of the year. Resource management, university vehicles, where are they on campus, what are they doing, when is it time uh, for maintenance, how to effectively and efficiently use those vehicles around campus. Um, water and gas leaks, you know, we hear about the sensors all the time. This is a huge OPEX savings opportunity for the colleges and universities. And at the end of the day, IoT learning, that, that should be important, you know, operational costs and controlling because at the end of the day, they're running businesses. Um, smart irrigation, many of the universities have enormous green spaces, particularly Barry College. Um, to put something on an automated schedule doesn't quite make sense anymore when you can put sensors in the ground and be a little bit more green and, and efficient and just water when it's necessary. Security, uh, controlled access to dorms and buildings, but you can think of it more you know, broadly. If there's an unfortunate incident on campus and you know there are a group of kids in a certain area but that administrative building is locked, unlock it. Something very simple that can be done. Crowd control, if something is detected where there's a particular group of students congregating on campus, 
you know, what is security usually doing? Where are they patrolling? Where are they at? If they can detect larger crowds, you know, go on the perimeter and make sure everybody's okay. Um, and on-campus emergency stations and monitoring, you know, we've all seen the telephones with the little blue lights, which is a very reactive experience. How about if I'm a student and I have an app and I can open that app like Waze and say, you know, there's somebody standing over there that looks a little suspicious. Boom. Bring security out, have them take a look. Be proactive rather than reactive. How about a convenience application for the students? I'm on my way to school. I open my app. It tells me what parking lot to go to, what spaces are open, and the best path to get to class and helps me plan my entire day. You know, these are all things with the right sensors and technologies that can be done to ensure the students have a good experience. And now, this one will kind of bring me into the, you know, what could it look like someday? I have three children, 14, 11, and eight. And when I sit and do homework with them, I can see on their faces when they're stressed. I can understand by looking at them when they need a little extra help. Imagine if there were sensors and devices in the classroom that could pick up on that, because I can tell you most kids, and I was probably one of them, I'm not gonna go to the teacher and say, I'm having a problem. But if there were sensors and technologies, maybe a biometrics pen that can sense changes in heart rate, to get the kids an individualized plan to help them get back up to speed. So I think in the future, now you take that and magnify it by a hundred universities, a thousand universities, universities across the world find commonality in students that need the help and will improve the education process. And that's all I really have to say. So thank you very much. Thank you. All right. How are you feeling? We're three-fifths of the way there. Still got energy? Feeling good? All right, we got one to front row crowd. Way to go, front row. Thank you very much. It's always good to bribe the front row with gifts before you get here. All right, so bringing up my next speaker here. First, get her slides. So let's go here. All right, Allison Powers is an avid runner and has pushed the envelope in two fields and three time zones during her career. She's head of research innovation for ThyssenKrupp Elevators, having arrived here at TechSquare at the start of the year. She obtained her undergraduate mechanical engineering degree from Georgia Tech, and then her master's in mechanical engineering from Stanford. Allison has four patents in biomedical engineering to her name. Got bored with that because, you know, she's already solved the human spine issues. You know, that, that, figure that out, right? No? Okay. Now she's helping the ThyssenKrupp think outside the elevator box when it comes to different kind of mobility. They're exploring robot integration with their core product new materials to make their products more competitive and efficient, and ways to enable servicing elevators to be extremely efficient for the end user. So she's here to boldly predict the future. Welcome her to the stage, Allison Powers. So how many people ride an elevator as part of their daily experience? Wow. How many people ride an rode an elevator today? How many people really cared about the elevator? Yeah, not so much. 
So the elevator is something that's not sexy. It's one of those things that you just want to work, and it really only sucks when it doesn't work. And I acknowledge that, but it still makes me excited to come to work today, every day, because I work on something that people don't care about. But I think that's so cool. And I think when we talk about a lot of IoT uh, topics, it's about stuff that just is supposed to work. And we're, we're trying to make people's daily experience better. And I like that. I like kind of being behind the scenes. Um, so think about this. I saw a lot of hands raised when I asked you these questions. 14 million elevators worldwide move 1 billion people per day. There are seven, over 7 billion people on the planet. 15% of the people are moved by an elevator every day. You just want it to work. When it doesn't work, it sucks. You just need it to work. And that's what we're in the business to do. Also another cool um, little tidbit, um, and it kind of complements the ecology space, we need to be sensitive to that, that each day urban space the size of, size of Manhattan is being built. Like, can you, can you believe that? So for the elevator industry and the building industry, that's great. Um, we, have, uh, we don't want to keep going out, even though in the US we have room to do so. So what direction do we go? We go Z, right? We go up, and that's good for the elevator business. So trains and everything kind of operate in the horizontal plane. I like to think of the service that we do as we are the movers of people vertically. And what could that also look like in the future? Vertically, moving horizontally in buildings, or the people mover that goes upwards. And you need it to work. That's what makes me excited about coming to work. What's gonna happen next? We work on ways to move people more efficiently. We are, I'm gonna be honest, we're kind of not mature really in the IoT space. We have ooh, roughly half of our elevators that we service, that's an estimate, don't quote me if that's incorrect, um, connected to the cloud. We're pulling elevator data from, directly from our elevator system and we're going with that data to the cloud. We're currently in the process of analyzing what all that data means. We're in the physical domain. We're not just collecting consumer data, how many pings we get, how many clicks we get, how many likes. We don't have that. We're in the physical domain, which offers an extremely interesting challenge. We're doing a finite element analysis problem on steroids because we actually want to figure out what is going to break in our system how we can predict that that failure is going to happen, and how we can send the mechanic to the field with the exact tool, the exact spare part that they need to fix the problem before the customer or you say, crap, it doesn't work. That's what we're trying to do with IoT. We are not completely there yet, but that's our mission. So how are we gonna get there? I see in the future, we can't, I can't just think about elevators. I have to think about what Honeywell is doing in their building system with their sensors and why they might want some elevator data. I gotta think about what Siemens is doing in the, in the building um, world. I need to think about who uses the building, who cares if people are moving through the elevator more efficiently. It's not just you, it's people making deliveries to the building. Right? So we're not just elevators, and we can't just think of ourselves as elevators. We move people, we move things through cities, and that's what we have to think about. In order to do that, we have to, my lawyers are gonna hate me for this one, but yes, I have to protect my intellectual property. Yes, I have to protect everything that ThyssenKrupp stands for. Um, but we have to start breaking down silos. Who works in a company where you say, Ugh, the legal team can't talk with the engineering team. We're all in silos and we can't communicate with each other. Yes, 
I'm not the only one. Please, God, tell me I'm not the only one. So I think in the future, it's not just breaking down silos intercompany. It's going to be breaking down silos intracompany. We have to start working together. We're all going to be working on the same problem five times over. The second thing, open innovation. We have a master research agreement with Georgia Tech that is super exciting. We talk with other companies under the umbrella of an NDA with lawyers in the room. But I think that open innovation, crowdsourcing, getting more people involved in your problem is going to have to become a lot more um, uh, prominent in, in what I do. And then third, the expectation reset. I'm going over. I, 10 seconds, I'll be over. Um, so. All of us in the room, were experts when it comes to IoT. Let's change the conversation with the general public because if I sit, hear someone say, oh, let's do an IoT project, I'm gonna punch them in the mouth because just doing an IoT project, as you guys know, is so much more involved and is so much more um, full of detail than I think what the conversation is around in the general public. So please communicate that to your families, your friends. Um, just doing IoT, there's a lot behind it. Thank you. There you are. All right, come on up. Luigi Ray Montanez has been a proud civic hacker since 2008. He's, all, he's as passionate for civic tech as he is for the Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta United, and his alma mater, Georgia Tech. He's currently a principal software engineer at Code for America, working on projects with state governments around the country to strengthen the social safety net. In 2014, Luigi co-founded Code for Atlanta and continues to help run it today. Code for Atlanta is an all-volunteer group of technologists working on civic-minded social good projects. There's actually a meetup this evening right here at 6.30, and they serve free pizza. So if you want to get involved, stick around. Uh, I first met him when he was the founding engineer for Upworthy. You might have heard of that. Um, and he's, uh, I've had the pleasure of working alongside with him through his leadership role with Code for Atlanta Brigade when we produced the MARTA Hackathon series all of last year. So he's ready to boldly predict the future. Welcome, Luigi. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me here. So we've heard some great uh, stories and thoughts so far. We've heard about some really cool technologies around this space. One thing I think is important to think of is uh, that a city itself is a technology, that it is a network of technologies, it is a complex system, but it is, in fact, a technology itself. It might be the most consequential technology that we as humans build. Uh, there is, of course, the internet, and there's telecom, and that is hugely important. But no one lives in the internet, or not yet, until maybe AI advances a little bit more. No one goes home to the internet, but people live in cities. And when we think of a city as a technology, it opens our minds to think of how individual pieces of that city work together to form a technical system to serve the people who live inside it. One thing about cities as technologies and about smart and connected cities is how we build them today. And one thing that we believe at Code for Atlanta is that open data 
That is data that is being collected about a city, being collected from devices around a city through all the IoT devices placed around a city or through companies that generate data or through the governments and universities and colleges that generate data is that the open data can be used as something to build on top of the city as a platform. So just like you might build on top of a corporation's cloud infrastructure, what would happen if we thought about building on top of the city's infra infrastructure? Not just in terms of internet services or not just in terms of specific APIs, but as a holistic big technology that we can all build on top of. So open data can be the foundation of that. So we heard about um, technology serving vulnerable populations earlier. I think one thing we're going to realize is that a truly connected city will serve people first and not just things. And so while the Internet of Things is important and needed and necessary and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come, how do we build a connected city that does serve everybody in that city? So at Code for Atlanta, um, we work on civic-minded tech projects. Um, I saw one of our attendees here earlier, Lauren, uh, upstairs. And he's been working on projects around mobility. And we've all seen the bird scooters around town. How do we build those scooters, that kind of mobility, into the fabric of our community? There's definitely bad things about them as they are now. There's good things about them as well. How do we use data? How do we get access to data about them? And how do we build the systems so that they benefit not just people that maybe look like me who are software developers who know about Bird and can find an app and try it out and have some fun on the streets of Midtown, but how do we create technology that can serve everyone? So people who might not have access to something as convenient as a scooter or something as convenient as an Uber or a Lyft. So a truly connected city will connect people, not just things. Thank you. Wonderful. We have had all five prognostications. So why don't we have all the five speakers come on up and stand in the order that you spoke. So first to last. Uh, there is a microphone in the back. And I uh, would invite you uh, here in the audience, since you are the live audience, you get to come up here and ask your question. So if anyone has a burning question, uh, just go up to the microphone. If you don't have a burning question, I'm going to throw it at you, and then you're going to have a burning problem. Uh, we, I know there's, uh, I know there's a, a, a pent-up demand. There we go. Things up there. And, and then open, open any, any, of, the, any of the panelists. Is it working? I think so, yeah. Uh, uh, this is uh, for ThyssenKrupp. I was wondering, you, you talked about going vertical yeah. 
a lot. Is there any plans subterranean and digging underneath the ground? Uh, no. Thank you. I mean, we have elevators. <laughs> we have elevators that go uh, into parking garages, but other than that, no. Um, I'm Roy Deshpande. I'm with GE. Uh, I'm a data scientist at GE in uh, California. Uh, my question was to you uh, regarding uh, the uh, uh, the technology in IoT in classrooms. Could you pull the microphone? It's hard to hear up here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so IoT uh, in classrooms. Uh, you mentioned about uh, looking at uh, kids' emotions, basically, to identify uh, whether they're stressed or not. Uh, but do you have any like your thoughts about uh, because the thing is that looking at emotions and looking at these information can also be risky and could also be a pri privacy concerns. So, w what are your thoughts on that? Because you kind of tread on, on a gray area in this case. So, so I think we're all concerned about privacy and security. It seems like every couple of days we're hearing about another credit card breach, another security breach. You know. <laughs> Um, I'm personally a, a cancer survivor, and if somebody told me that there was a device that they could put inside my body that could predict something or help it, I'm in. And I think that's the key. It's about being in. It's about choosing to accept some of those things. So if a student said, hey, you know what, don't, don't use my facial recognition, don't, I don't want your biometric pen, no problem. So I think the answer to your question is you're never going to prevent all security breaches. There's brilliant hackers out there that are going to get to what they want to get to. Hi, I'm Andre Danilov. Like yeah, I have a follow-up comment and maybe a question for the group. I mean, we were, we're here to make bold predictions. I feel like the degree of people caring about their privacy is decreasing rapidly, especially with the younger generation. They are willing to give up privacy for what they get, and they're getting uh, ease, they're getting connectivity, um, they're getting a lot of services back for, for giving up their privacy. Um, so that's my thought on things. Um, I know in, in government facilities and hospitals, that's not going to change. I'm speaking more about use cases where it's more elective what you're giving up to get what you're getting. Um, that's that's kind of where I feel like things are going. Thoughts? I mean, I definitely see from from my end using a camera, like I'm a guy in a mask who's walking around the city videotaping themselves, basically interacting with people. There's nothing more intrusive than being filmed with someone that you don't know other than this fake face that they wear. So some of the things I deal with is whenever I begin to talk to somebody, I actually hold well, number one, I have the camera outside of the television. There's no camera inside, nor will there ever be, because I don't feel in my heart that that is right to do, at least for my own technology and my development. I have it separated in my camera off to the side, and then I always ask for consent before I actually film them or would be filmed. So whether they want more explanation or less explanation than that, that's another question. But just kind of the procedures of asking for consent, how do you know and how do you make aware of what you're giving up uh, in an honest format, I believe is the, the best way to proceed forward. Um, 
I would say hearing from a lot of citizens, I would not argue that everybody's feeling very comfortable with privacy. Um, I think there's definitely a generational shift in some of that, but there are a lot of individuals that are targeted by people a lot, and uh, there's a lot of concerns about that. So I, I would say that I hear from a lot of people from a concerned voice, that's all. Okay, I have a question for TSO Group. I have seen in Synth Energy building amazing video with amazing concept when elevator moved not only vertical but horizontal directly to window, directly to some room. Could you describe in what cases it will have economical sense to build such system and in general? Yeah, I encourage people to look up our multi-elevator system, which is currently in the public. Um, the public meaning it's been disclosed. Do we actually have a functional product? No, but it is functional. Well, typical elevator systems that you ride in are either hydraulic or they're going to be with ropes and pulleys that have been around for 100 years plus. Um, the multi-elevator system does move vertically and horizontally, and it works with linear motors. Um, um, so we sold our first job, I think, somewhere in Germany um, in the next couple years or next few years, so that actually become uh, real um, in the next few years, and that's something that ThyssenKrupp is really, really proud about. Um, I don't know when the first installation will come to the U.S. Um, we're a German company, so it's, I will not, it's appropriate that it goes to Germany first. Um, so uh, thank you for bringing that up, and that's kind of the next phase of moving, you know, X or ZX, right? Um, really exciting for our company to introduce that. Hold on, here you go. One time 20 years ago, during my sleeping, I have seen such dream, and when I came to Synth Energy and have seen such video, I was just stopped, I was not able to speak. I think, I think, I think you were also dreaming about chocolate factories at the time too, right? Yeah, it's called the Wonkavator. The first patent that described this uh, possibility, I think, is 1920 or so, so yeah. All right, so we're going to do a rapid-fire finish uh, for the panel. I'd, uh, I would like for you to have one quick takeaway, one tweet-worthy moment. What, what thought that you're trying to wrap Scott, up, which is the Scott, one thing? Scott, I have something oh, oh. really important to add. Oh, yeah, all right, go ahead. Okay. So all right, uh, apparently I'm, someone didn't keep you from the microphone. Right. I all right, so Lauren, we've got a show to go here. Go ahead, Lauren, what's your I'm quick question? I'm a researcher question? at Georgia Tech, and I want to add some optimism about privacy. This is what I've been researching the last three weeks. We now have the ability to, on the fly, take faces and change them. So you no longer have to worry about being exposed when his camera's running. We have a standard that's proposed that the red light means you're being photographed, the green light means no data capture, just innocuous censorship, the blue light means that the AI is actually actively altering you as it moves you into the digital twin model. Your device is reflecting you safely, privately, and we can all see our data without that loss of privacy. <laughs> Wonderful. I just found out I have a digital twin I need to go ask about. All right, so what's your, what's your one takeaway you want everyone to remember as they're driving home tonight? Luigi, go. I'm, I'm gonna hold the mic. Go. A connected city is a city connect that connects people, not just things. Allison. Hashtag IoT cannot be summed up in one tweet. Wonderful. To keep pushing and demanding what you want for your business, not what everybody else thinks you want or need. What? Uh, ATLCityDesign.com. All right. And Atlanta TV head? 
human experiences over data. Wonderful. Round of applause for our five prognosticators. Thank you very much. This brings uh, this episode of The Hot Seat to a close. Uh, once again, a huge thank you to Comcast Business, TAG, our five prognosticators, every exhibitor, and you, the audience. For those joining us online, thank you for checking out this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the TechSquare ATL podcast channel on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you want to learn more about the heart of Atlanta's tech scene, check out TechSquare ATL. So until you see the silhouette of a chair in the sky, this has been the Hot Seat Podcast.